This is Father Kevin Hale with a homily for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 18th of October. One of the big fears that many of us are having at the moment is the likelihood of huge rises in the level of taxation as a result of the rescue packages that have been put in place by the government as a result of the pandemic. And taxes and higher taxes are the last thing anyone wants to hear about, especially when so many people are facing unemployment. Yet we know we have to pay our taxes, even if we might question how they are spent. And that's the context in which Jesus delivers one of his most famous one-liners. Give unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and to God the things that belong to God. Context is often everything when it comes to discussing things that are controversial. So we know, as a group, the Pharisees didn't much care for Jesus, and he certainly didn't care much for them either. They were always trying to entrap him. Smug, uncompromising, and overbearing. Any opportunity they could find was an occasion to try to bring him down. But Jesus, without rejecting anything they held represented something different, namely, a making plain of the heart of the law, which is living in friendship with God. So we see a contrast in two visions of religion. And as a result, the Pharisees are out to get him, and they concocted a very clever plot. The Jews were being made to pay a tax to the distant emperor in Rome, not a popular tax. And if Jesus says that the tax is okay, then he will alienate many of his followers who see him as establishing the kingdom of God, something different and distinct. But if he says no, the temple tax is not legitimate, then the Herodians will hear him and report back to their superiors that he is a seditious troublemaker. Either way, they think they have him. But Jesus, with infinite deftness, evades the dilemma with his famous comeback. Give unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Now, I think what we have to reflect on here is the meanness of a lot of people who would call themselves religious. Now, down through the ages, Christians have identified this kind of problem as one of the worst. The medievals called it odium theologicum, which is a theological hatred. And they identify this as the worst form of hatred because when you hate for theological or religious reasons, there is a very special intensity. Someone's got a different religious opinion to me. I want not just to express a different opinion, I want to utterly crush them. At its extreme, this gives rise to the gross acts of terrorism that we've witnessed in the West in recent times. But in lesser forms, it gives rise to character assassination, cruel words meant to injure, insinuations meant to derail someone's career. We all know the kind of thing. And here is the basic principle. You can't serve the God of love by hating people. If you're trying to serve the God of love, you can't do it by hating people because in the very act of setting them up for destruction, trying to trap them, you undermine the God that you are trying to proclaim. Now, I'm sure all of you 
as indeed I, during this lockdown, have seen some extraordinary stories of how people have lived their faith with great charity. Families where they've set up altars and followed the Mass faithfully each week. Those who have undertaken generous acts of charity and service towards the housebound and the less fortunate. Individuals who've discovered new depths in themselves by having to be more resourceful and just try to survive. Faith, when it's lived out in its fullness, with all the fruits of goodness and holiness, changes our lives for the good. It changes the way we see things, the world and everything in it. We're always free, of course, to hold our views and to have opinions, so long as Christ is informing who and what we say we are and do. This must also be true of everything that governments and nations do. Sometimes there are complex questions that we have to face, both as a nation and as an individual. But the solutions are always to be found in the fundamental question of, is God absolute in my life or not? Is Jesus my first and last concern, or is it something else? But in the spiritual order, things don't always appear quite so simple. And one of those areas is the relations between church and state, or between religion and politics. We've been struggling with this dynamic through every century of the church's life, and sometimes fighting over it too. But there must remain the distinction between the religious and the temporal world. Both have their own legitimate sphere of influence and operation, and both are separate, but can and should influence how the other functions. Just remember, I'm sure you do, 10 years ago when Pope Benedict came to our country and spoke to both Houses of Parliament. In that masterly way, he outlined the principles whereby governments and church can operate independently of each other, and should, but also in mutual respect. But in the final analysis, everything belongs to God, since God is the creator of all things, including Caesar. Everything is ultimately under the spiritual and moral canopy of God. That's why the church has been able to speak about injustice and oppression and moral issues in all the forms that we know down through the centuries. Now, that's something of an answer to this complex question that Jesus poses. It's not an either-or, but rather a rather eloquent and fascinating both-and. Give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And Mary shows us by her life that perfect model of someone who lived in harmony with God and with her fellow human beings. She can also teach us how to live in sensitivity towards others, never compromising the truth, but always offering it with the charity which she personifies. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.